You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of The White Tiger. When I first saw him, I knew then this was the master for me. I want to be a driver for your son. Hey, how much rope? Hey, don't do that. <laughs> hey, driver! I'm Pinky, nice to meet you. Balram, have you ever seen a computer? We had many of them in the village with the goats. Okay. The goats are pretty advanced to use computer. Okay, now you're being a jerk. I didn't like the way he had spoken about me. Since I was a boy, the desire to be a servant yeah. had been hammered into my skull. I, Balram Halwai, I drove the car. I was alone in the car. They made me sign that confession. Why would you kick him? Why would you hit him like that? You're my driver. I want to break free. I want to break free. They had plans. I had plans too. I want to break free from your lies. You're so self-satisfied out of me. I would have to become the creature that gets born only once every generation. The white tiger. That's what I call myself these days. I'm just one who has woken up while the rest of you are still sleeping. All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for The White Tiger, and the story is as follows. An ambitious Indian driver uses his wit and cunning to escape from poverty and rise to the top. The film is starring Adarsh Gurav, Rajkumar Rao, and Priyanka Chopra Jonas. It is written and directed by Ramin Barani. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Dan Baer. Here in the rooster coop with you all. <laughs> and also Josh Parham. Hello, hello. All right, everyone. So another Netflix title. Uh, this is one that kind of flew under the radar, I think, compared to some of the other uh, titles that they've been putting out more recently. You know, this is the kind of movie that I feel like would have premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival in a normal year. And then, you know, I think there would have been some talk about it in the Oscar race and for what it's worth, there is still a little bit of chit-chat about it um, in the Oscar conversation, I think mostly in the adapted screenplay category. But really what this is, first and foremost, is this is an excuse to just talk about another uh, Ramin Barani film because <laughs> he is a filmmaker I feel like that doesn't get talked about often enough. So I think maybe like a good way to kind of start here would be maybe to talk about if you guys are familiar with any of his previous work, including 99 Homes, Chop Shop, Man Push Cart. So, Josh, I'm going to pass it over to you first. Um, what has been like your experience with Ramin Bar- uh, Barani's war- previous work? I'm actually somebody that's not super familiar with his work. I know him a lot by reputation, obviously, and I've seen 
I've seen 99 Homes and um, bits of Goodbye Solo, but I admit I'm not like uh, like a diehard of his. I, I respect him tremendously, mainly because other people do. I've heard a lot of great things about his stuff, but he's not really been somebody that I have immediately sought out. But he does seem like a filmmaker that's very interested in very kind of personal human stories. And I find that applies to something like The White Tiger as well, which is a movie that I really, really enjoyed. I do think that this is a film that kind of has an issue in the second half where it does slow down a little bit in the pacing. And I feel that there's this kinetic energy in the beginning that dissipates slightly in the second half as the tone kind of becomes more somber. But I still found myself really responding to this movie. I still think it has a lot of interesting commentary about these uh, caste systems and how people are perceived in terms of their wealth and and placement within society. And I also think that this lead performance from Gorov is just astounding. I, I think it's really one of the most like impressive breakouts that I've ever seen. And, and I think it's a great performance and a pretty, um, pretty well done movie. All right. Okay. Dan Baer, same question to you. Yeah, I'm pretty much in the same boat as Josh, actually. I, I've seen 99 Homes, but while I've heard um, great things about his other work, I haven't really seen it all in full. Um, know him more, much more by reputation than I do through actual experience of my own. And um, But from what I've heard about his work, which does tend to deal a lot with uh, with poverty. I was expecting, you know, this movie to have something really interesting to say. And it, it does. <laughs> um, and it says it a lot uh, through voiceover, which is not my favorite device uh, when adapting a novel, especially. But the writing for that voiceover in this is so good that I kind of didn't care about that so much. Um, I think it's really a fascinating exploration of the psychology of poverty and of these caste systems in India. Um, I thought it was fascinating and, and very well done. I just wish that the movie had been about 10 to 15 minutes shorter. Um, like Josh was saying with, pacing issues specifically in the second half i think that and the pacing issues are were more apparent to me in the first half or like maybe first two-thirds of it because we just keep sort of going around in these almost narrative circles where we feel it feels like we've we're covering ground that we've already covered before just to pad out the running time and i didn't like that so much especially because when you're doing that whole uh, in Midias Rest, uh, look, the character in the present day looking back kind of opening, you know where this is going. And yeah. it's definitely the type of story where you'd know where it was going anyway. So I, I, I wish that it could have gotten there um, quicker. <laughs> I agree with a lot that has been said here. I think that Adarsh Gurov gives one of the best breakout performances of the year, hands down, because he has to play so many different levels of this character from his humble beginnings 
in the poorest part of the country to where he is at the end. And to your point, Dan, we know where he ends up, but there's this whole journey, this whole arc that we go on with him and a complete character change by the end. And the movie, to Josh's point, does a really great job of selling the level of psychology around um, poverty within India that even though the things that um, that uh, Balram does to get to the top are indeed immoral and wrong. The movie does a really good job of presenting a convincing argument as to why he needs to do what he needs to do, <laughs> you know? And I definitely think that there is, you know, uh, a lens that is being held up to um, us here as Americans because they talk about how the only w- two ways to the top are through politics or crime. And he asks, is it the same for you in your country? And the answer is, well, depending on who you ask. <laughs> um but I, I found this movie to be really entertaining and quite riveting at times. The filmmaking and the pacing in the first two acts, I agree, are really fantastic. It's when we get to the third act where because we know how this ends and the movie is doing this. I don't understand why, but it is it slows down considerably in the third act to build up to its climactic point. And you can see it coming a mile away. You know, I think in the beginning of the film, there is a bit of mystery around, oh, well, how does Balram go from point A to point Z? You know, and we're kind of curious about that and we want to go on that journey. But the film kind of shows its hand a little too early in how he is going to get there. And I, yeah, I have to agree, like the last 20 minutes or so of this movie, man, could have been trimmed down to more than half of that length because, uh, I mean, oh, gosh, I, I have to admit, I took off like a whole point just for that alone because, you know, I think the most important part of a movie is its ending. And I don't feel like this movie had a strong enough ending to justify everything else that came before it in the end. I was I was a tad bit disappointed, if I'm being completely honest with you. I didn't feel quite as betrayed at the ending as you did, Matt. I I do admit that there is something to the energy of the movie that I think deflates a little bit. And it's somewhat intentional because the tone does shift in the second half. Because the first part, I think, does have this energy to it that is rather, like, somewhat fast-paced. But it is, as I said, kinetic. Like, you do feel like this story is sort of moving. At least I do. I, I know Dan disagrees. But for me... I found the whole exploration of this character kind of being introduced to this new world around him and understanding how you need to maneuver politically through it. I found all that really interesting commentary and was being shown through this really great performance. And I think the second half doesn't really go into that exploration anymore. It really becomes more about like a basic like plot element of just we need to have this thing resolved so that we get to where the character is at the very end of the movie. And that's where I think it is not as inventive in terms of its themes and its storytelling. I still found it entertaining to watch, but not as much as the vast majority of the movie that came before it for me. Well, because everything that we're being introduced to in the first act is new to us. You know, the world is new to us. The 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 lifestyle is new to us. And everything that is being explained to the viewer is something that we're not really all that accustomed with, unless if you 
have been to India, have studied India and like know a lot about India, <laughs> which, you know, I think a lot of us, you know, are a little bit outside on the outside on. So in, in that regard, I think the, you know, the beginning is very interesting. But then by the time you do get to that third act, to your point, Josh, you know, it it's focused around that single plot element. And that single plot element has a familiarity to it that we've seen in countless other movies before. And it's so, so highly uh, telegraphed in terms of like, we know exactly what's going to happen. And we're just kind of like, okay, come on already. Can you do it? Can we just get there? Why are we dragging this out at this point? And I, I respect that um, Ramin is, you know, patiently telling the story and giving the character arc an actual arc that really it deserves instead of maybe rushing it. But I don't know. I can't help but feel like there was a way to maybe rush it just a little bit without sacrificing the impact of it all. Um, Because that's what I think. I think he wanted it to have like tremendous impact in a way that left us as an audience member questioning the morals of this character at the very end. But I don't know. By the end, I just didn't care enough at that point. I, I yeah, I, God, I, I really was deflated. <laughs> I really was. <laughs> I think the movie does something kind of interesting with the pacing where the, the actual like pace of the film in terms of editing and score and like kineticism that Joshua was talking about is really high for the first two acts or so. But that to me is when the plot itself is kind of the least interesting. Oh, I see. I totally disagree. I like a lot of what the script is doing in terms of the character's psychology and building that up. But the the plot itself is kind of, you know, this rote rags to riches sort of thing. And then in the last third of the movie, the that kind of pacing slows down and we're left with more of a character driven thing than a plot driven thing well see in terms of character driven you know i think what i liked about the first two acts especially was balrov's relationship with ashok and pinky Mm -hmm. in how he is i mean he's treated like complete crap by his masters mm-hmm. and those two pinky and ashok are kind of like somewhere in between where i mean pink pinky less so she definitely is the one who's calling out the bullshit of the caste system and but she also still actively participates in mm-hmm. it with yeah, yeah no totally that's why i'm saying they're both kind of like stuck in the middle in their own unique yeah. ways and I, I actually think there's a very, very interesting conversation and commentary there that I was very fascinated by in regards to this relationship of master, servant, but then what happens when the master and the servant start to become friends mm-hmm. and that divide starts to crack a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's fascinating. And this is why like, I had less problem with the voiceover narration in this than I usually do because that is where you get all of that psychology and it is fascinating and so well written and i think it's especially well written actually in the back half of the movie when after you know the sort of inciting incident that we see in the first five minutes is reached in the course of the regular narrative and it unspools watching adash gurov navigate this character's descent after that, after he sort of like has 
had the veil ripped from his eyes and he really sees these people for who they are is so fascinating and it's so well done. He charts it so, so well. And I really loved that the character study that we get from just him in the back half of the movie, but the pace of the filmmaking definitely slows down in the, in that, part and i get that and i get why it's um why you know it's kind of a problem but for me the my pacing issue is more with the way the story plays out over the first two thirds because it feels like it's a lot not a lot of repetition but more repetition than the movie can kind of stand i guess see that scene where he's brought in and he's kind of being you know the scapegoat yeah i was just gonna mention that matt yeah oh that scene just so good oh my god i mean i think the movie does a really great job of getting you so invested into once again the character his psychology his mindset and everything else that when that scene occurs it, it is a heartbreaking heartbreaking scene because you just know deep down that this is a guy who will do absolutely anything for his master and he is so so delusioned that even even when they are literally making him the sacrificial lamb uh he he can't he can't do anything about it and it's oh it's painful it's just painful to watch (laughs) the smile he gets on his face when um after he signs the document admitting that, you know, he basically did it when he had no part in that at all is heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, that is maybe my favorite moment in the movie, to be honest, because that is a, a moment where you totally get where he is mentally. Mm-hmm. Like he walks into that situation thinking like he has done a good job. He has served this family, you know, he has done everything that he needs to, and yet they still treat him like a disposable piece of garbage. Like, even the quote-unquote good one that, you know, the son that was so nice to him, like, even he realizes how complicit he is going to be in this system, and the fact that he feels so powerless in that moment and has so many things going on in his mind but can't fully express it in that room, but you can feel it in that performance, ah, amazing, amazing work. Yeah, from amazing work from everyone in that. Truly, scene. yeah, 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 yeah. I I did think that uh, Priyanka, maybe some of her lines were maybe a little too, I don't know, a little too forced at times. I wish I wish we could have gotten maybe just a tad bit more out of her character and seen other layers to her. But overall, I think that everyone was doing a really good job here, and it's kind of like the anti Slumdog Millionaire. In a lot of ways, there's even a line that references the movie. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) exactly. So it's kind of just showing uh, India for what it really is instead of the fantasy that Slumdog Millionaire presented to uh, mainstream audiences. I kind of hope that, you know, this movie does catch on with people because it is very entertaining at times and it has the energy of like a Martin Scorsese film. Um, It's. It's got a lot going for it. And, of course, we mentioned before Adarsha Gurov. I mean, his performance in this is just so magnetic and so charming. And you have sympathy for him. And you also fully believe, even though, like, at the end of the movie, 
I was looking at him in like his suit and everything. And I thought to myself, like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is the same guy who was yeah. smiling so eagerly, bowing down and, you know, was meek at, at times and so on and so forth. And yet he just carries himself with such confidence it's really, really, really incredible to witness, and I hope that he continues to get a lot of roles after this to show us more of his talent. Yeah, he is so good to the point where he does really run away with the movie from everybody else. And like, there's other good performances in this cast for sure, but I think in comparison to him, they like really have a hard time measuring up. Like Priyanka Chopra Jonas, I think in this movie. It, she's fine. Her issues, I think, are more with the way that character is written because I don't yeah. think there's a lot of nuance or complexity to her. And I think she's doing the best that she can. But I do admit that she did end up being kind of the weak link in the movie for me. And I think it was mostly just because that character did not seem that developed at all and felt a little like a wasted opportunity for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday. Hey there. I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. See you soon. Yeah, and she also makes a relatively early exit from mm-hmm. the film. And see, that's where the film starts to go downhill for me, actually, is when it is is when she exits the movie, if I'm being completely honest with you, because mm. I think the dynamic of the three of them. Yes. Uh, is the is what is the movie at its strongest? And once she's gone and then we're just focusing on a shook and uh, Balrov, I, I do think the film is a tad bit weaker there. I, I particularly love the scene where he's driving them in, I guess, basically the, the country, the poorer mm-hmm. parts of the country near where, his, where he grew up. And he's like pointing out all these sort of not exactly religious sites 
as yeah. very religious. Oh, well, 36 million gods to choose from. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and they just like buy into it wholeheartedly. They're like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, oh it's so beautiful. Oh, the nature. It's it's so, I, I it made me laugh, that scene. I really mm-hmm. loved it. The dynamic between the three of them is incredibly compelling. Um, and I think you're right. It does lose something after uh, she leaves the movie, but I was still pretty compelled by um, the dynamic just between uh, Balram and Ashok. Uh, there was a lot that that relationship was playing with, with this master servant dynamic and how, how complicit Ashok is in it and how much he resents himself for being so complicit in it. And like, there's this content full of him, like wanting to be a better person, but he can't quite give up that privilege that is going on all in, um, Kumar's performance. And I think it's great. Yeah. I I don't think he's necessarily bad in this, but I also wasn't as fully captivated by his performance. I think the writing of it was good because it did do a good job of capturing a person who is stuck between progressive and traditionalism. Uh, when he has his scenes with, um, with, uh, pinky, you know, it's clear that he is, I think being his best self, uh, towards Balram. And then when he's with his father or the mongoose, you know, if you were, um, you know, his worst tendencies and his most complicit uh, nature uh, comes out more to the forefront. So I found the writing of that character to be very interesting and the duality of it all and his like internal conflict. But yeah, I, I, I you know, I, I have to agree, like Adarsh Gurov just runs away with this movie and just leaves everybody else oh, in the yeah. dust and no one else can compare. <laughs> I almost feel as if um, Rajkumar Rao has the opposite problem that Jonas does in this movie, where she's got a really good performance saddled with a character that's not all that great. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think his character has all these really interesting layers to him and is so well written. And I have to admit that I think that there are times where his performance doesn't necessarily measure up to the gravity of that character. He's got a lot of like natural charm, and I found that to be incredibly infectious. But I think when that character needs to be like really fleshed out in terms of the performance, I don't know if I fully buy into what he's doing. It's not terrible, but I think that there is a level of... There's this level that that character needs, especially when you're going up against this great performance from from Gurov in this movie, that it didn't feel like they were on equal playing ground in terms of their performances, which is a shame because the character has so much potential to be really fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Um, Also, I got to just say, too, for the record, this movie looks great. The cinematography is on point. Yeah, the colors, uh, the, you know, differences in the locations and how well it's just captured on film. There's some very interesting editing techniques at times that are going on as well that are keeping me, you know, invested. I mean, I'll admit there there was like one or two times where I thought the editing got too cute for its own good. <laughs> uh, but otherwise, no, this movie, this movie is a really solid film, like all around. It's not something that I would call extraordinary, but it's one of those movies that is just like a firm recommendation from me for anyone out there that wants to check it out. Because also, too, you have an opportunity to learn 
about, you know, a foreign country and the way that that country's whole class system is built and what is wrapped up in a very digestible, entertaining story. I do think yeah. that the, the editing is really particularly strong throughout most of the film. There are a couple times where it did rub me a little bit wrong, especially when there's these kind of weird fade outs that happen yes! in the movie. And that's, and normally, that's exactly oh what God, I was thinking. Yes. It's mm-hmm. a small thing that doesn't normally like kill the whole thing, but it happens enough in the film where it does kind of become distracting at a certain point. I, I will admit that. Yeah, it happened like two or three times. I and I the first time I was just taken aback by it. The next time it showed up, I was like, "Oh, this is actually a technique that they're doing." And I was like, uh, "I'm not so not so sure I like it." Yeah, I did not. I was a fan of that. It was very strange choice. I thought. Mm-hmm. And even the voiceover, I am a little torn on it at times because I think it's very well written. Like what he is saying is so fascinating, mm-hmm. and I'm captivated by it. I think my issue comes from the just way that it's delivered. I don't know if I ever really bought the whole I'm writing to uh, the Chinese president and like, no, I don't know if like that storytelling device felt like it really justified the narration to me. I I honestly believe if it had just been like, this is straight narration and it's just this omniscient voiceover that's talking to the audience. This is my story. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't need a justification for the voiceover. It almost felt like, the movie was almost embarrassed to have a voiceover and couldn't get around it and <laughs> needed to invent a reason. And it's like, you don't need it. Just do the voiceover. Just commit to it. That would have been much better to me. I mean, and it's also kind of like pointless, too, because, you know, when he does finally then meet the Chinese uh, president, he gets like kind of shrugged off by him <laughs> after all of that. So it's like, well, what was the point of any of it then? You know? <laughs> yeah. It was crazy to me because I was just sitting there watching like, well, he's not going to actually meet the Chinese president, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, no, they decided to actually do that and just, like, oh. There was also, like, a point, too, where I was – and maybe this just because I was at a point where I was like, wow, can this movie just end already? I kept wondering what was going to actually be the ending. I don't know if you guys felt that way, too, but – there, there just came a point where I was like, where is the natural ending for this? Because I feel like the natural ending point got lost. And now whatever they do is probably not going to be satisfying enough for me. And sure enough, the final shot of the movie and him directly looking into the camera and addressing the audience and everything. I was like, ah, it's pretty much what I expected. But I it, it didn't it didn't land for me with the impact that I think that they wanted it to. Yeah. All right. Uh, any final thoughts on the White Tiger, Josh? Um, I think that pretty much covers it. I, I think I will also just say that the whole rooster cage that was already mentioned could be one of those metaphors that is so apparently obvious and could feel very <laughs> like it, it, there is potential for that to seem like it's a little bit too cute for uh, storytelling purposes. And I think this movie deserves a lot of credit for it never feeling that way, that it does actually yeah. feel like it has a purpose within the story. And I I think that it can be very challenging to actually state your metaphor in the movie and still have it feel natural to the themes that you're trying to come across. And I think that that's a mark of really strong storytelling throughout this entire movie. And while it definitely has some issues here or there in terms of the execution of that, I still found myself pretty riveted all the way through. And 
yeah, I still think it's a really fantastic movie, to be honest. Yeah, Dan Bear, what about you? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very much in the same place as Josh is. I think the movie is really strong. I don't think it's perfect by any means, but it um, it has a lot to recommend it, and I particularly that lead performance by Adarsh Gaurav is just fantastic, and the, it is very compelling and involving throughout the movie. I I do like it a lot. Um, but it, there's, it doesn't, I think always, it's not always its best self <laughs> is what I would say, I guess. Sure. I, I, I found it to be engaging, kinetic and entertaining to watch, but when it was all over, just a little bit hollow. And I think that's like the word I've been looking for this whole time is, you know, just, just, just hollow. Um, I, I didn't feel like it landed as hard as it possibly could have. Um, I do I do like a line, America is so yesterday, India and China are so tomorrow. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of good lines in this movie. So I got to give the movie uh, credit for its writing overall. I think Ramin Barani did a really, really solid job. It's, it's definitely not perfect. There's some flaws here, but overall, I'm pretty impressed with the movie, you know, for the most part. I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. Dan, what about you? Yeah, I'm also giving it a a very strong 7 out of 10, but a 7 out of 10, yeah. Josh? Well, I'm going to be more generous. I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. Oh, okay. Okay. 300 rupees for you, sir. (laughs) All righty. So for Oscar potential for The White Tiger, I mean, I think that this is, you know, I, I don't think I haven't given up on it possibly landing an adapted screenplay still. I think that's still a possibility. Yeah, I think that race is still a little fluid at this point. There's still <laughs> kind of some unanswered questions as in terms of how some of these contenders are going to play out. I wouldn't say that it's like close to the five at this point, but there is a world where it could happen and still be in the conversation. Yeah, like it's in the ten. Yeah, I well, I don't even know if I'd say it's in the 10. I'd have to look at the list of contenders more closely, I think. But, like, th- this doesn't seem like one of the bigger Netflix releases. And they have so many mm-hmm. that I'm just like, I don't know if this can even break through, like, in terms of their own publicity, you know? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I do wonder if maybe... There's a world where it could get in at WGA if there's like some big contender that's disqualified. Like that's really the only world I see it gaining any kind of traction. But I agree with you, Dan. I think that given the very crowded slate that Netflix already has, I can very easily see this kind of getting lost in that shuffle. And I know that we've all talked about the awesome performance of Adash Gurav in this, but because he's such a newcomer on the scene and this is not a quote unquote, like best picture contender type. I have a very, very hard time seeing him, you know, in the conversation, which is why I think you'll have to settle for, you know, breakthrough and, you know, high notices from people throughout the year. But hey, you know, I really do think it's going to lead to uh, bigger and better opportunities for him. Oh, totally agree. Yeah, that best actor race, as we have noted many times now, is starting to firm up and it just seems like it's getting very hard for new people to break into that category. And as deserving as he is, I just feel like 
you're right, Matt. He's a newcomer. The movie probably isn't going to get the attention that it deserves, at least in terms of pushing that performance. And it just really feels like it's going to be a situation where people are going to say he's great, breakthrough notices uh, up and down. But I have a hard time imagining he's going to really slide into that race and leapfrog all of these people who are already well established within the season. Yeah. I originally like I remember I remember before I saw the movie, I thought that this could be an editing contender. And then when I saw the movie, I was like, oh, it's so close. Like, it's so close to being one. But damn, (laughs) you know, so I got I got nothing else to really add to it. Yeah, neither do I. All right. Dan Bear, where can they find you on the Internet? Uh, They can find me on Twitter at Dance and Dan on film. Josh Parham. You can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of The White Tiger here on the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate us five stars. Leave us a comment and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening as always, and we shall see you all next time. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.